Hoo hoo. Hello there, guys. I snapped into this one too. Welcome to episode sixty-three. Um, I actually originally did this intro and I said sixty-five, and then I realized I was missing a couple episodes. So I was like, eh, I'm gonna do it again. Again, I like to break the fourth wall for you guys. I don't like to bullshit you. Um, I'm a little out of my mind, and you know, I want you guys to know that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and, and and you want me to break the fourth wall a little more? I actually just got done episode 62. 63 was done, like, days ago. Oh, the cars are going by, and the mic's picking all of it up. That's delightful. Um, but I'm literally just doing it right after 62. Or, yeah, 62. Um, but, yeah, this was another good episode. Uh, as I said in the last one, I don't say a whole lot in this episode, so you may miss me. I know, I know. You miss me when I just a week goes by, and it's like, oh, where is he? I understand what well, you're gonna miss. This is gonna kind of be like I took a week off and someone hijacked the show. Well, I should say hijack because he's a great guy. Uh, he just he he basically was uh one of those guest hosts, you know, how like Alex Trebek is, you know, he obviously unfortunately died. Aaron Rodgers or whoever's taking over the podcast or, or excuse me, taking over Jeopardy. This is kind of like one of them where. Once in a while, I pop in and I say something. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's it, look. I I really did enjoy this episode. It's a little wordy, but he's a great guy, and um, I, I can't always say that. I know, but I, I I really you run out of like you run out of things to say about them. So, um, but yeah, enjoy him. I uh, hope I'm I'm starting to take some of his words and and um. You know, and I'm taking it to heart. I'm really starting to try to implement it and see if it works for me. May not, but you know, uh, life's been a little challenging lately. Just putting putting it to tests to the test. Excuse me. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, and guys, follow me on Instagram, uh, which is at my blurred opinion. Um, I put up some other content up there as well. Just some. Uh, I sometimes I go live. I think I've done three or four of them, just on something that's on my mind or how I'm feeling. Uh, much shorter. They're probably, you know, at best 10 minutes. Um, and then just some, some pictures and some stuff and whatever. Uh, you may see bullet on there, but, uh, yeah, guys, um, let's just get right on to our next guest. Thanks guys. All right, guys. So back with another episode here. Uh, my next guest is Joseph. He, um, he's a guy I reached out to on the same side. I've been finding the last so many guests. Um, you want to tell us, like, you know, where you're from and kind of a little bit about your story? Yeah, hi, TJ. Um, uh, I, I basically had a, a nervous breakdown when I was uh, in, in 1990, and I uh, walked away from my career and my livelihood uh, after um, uh, about nine years of education. And, um, but that catapulted me into uh, my spiritual journey. And uh, helped me view my life as, you know, uh, the phrase you hear people say, life happens for you, not to you. Right. And uh, that really got me on, on the journey of really incorporating that into my life. Because it's an easy thing to say, right? You know, something bad happens to a person. Well, you know, life happens for you, not to you. So learn from it. That's easy to say, but it's very difficult 
for many people to incorporate that and uh, and actually uh, help them in their lives. Uh, so that's what that uh, nervous breakdown did. <laughs> so it, do you uh, know what the cause of that breakdown was? Like, what, what, where were well, you at mentally? I do, I, I do now. I didn't. I did not then. Uh, I'm a, a combat veteran from Vietnam, and uh, since uh, actually just recently, um, maybe five years ago, I was diagnosed and disabled through the VA, through the Veterans Administration, as a, a, a PTSD disabled veteran, and that's what it was. It was. Uh, one of the hallmarks of PTSD is reckless behavior. And uh, in my career, uh, as the stress built up over the years, um, I started dealing with that through um, what some people would call reckless behavior. My background now uh, with my um, angel interventions um, I, I can look back now and see where I was given a sign to move in a different direction than I was heading in with my career. And I ignored those signs. And what I've come to know since then is that your angels will give you these, they're very patient with you, and they'll give you these signs, and they'll give them to you over and over and patiently wait for you to make the choices. And if you don't, then bam, <laughs> they'll come down with a sledgehammer. Hmm. And that's what happened. And now Is that you what you think was, some people call karma? The the sledgehammer. Uh, right. Well, I don't know if it's karma. I mean, the angels do give you, uh, uh, you know, uh, many, many uh, chances to make these choices. And if you don't listen and make them, uh, then uh, they basically make you make it with a sledgehammer. Right. Uh, now, you can say that was the PTSD, or you can say it was my angels. Well, I think the angels just used the PTSD uh, as a, uh, you know, to just knock me off where I was going and put me on a different path. Right. And, and that's when I started. Actually, it happened uh, when I was, uh, I don't. I won't say this was a vision, but when I was seven years old, uh, my grandparents lived in the Phoenix area, and I'm in San Diego, and uh, we would go on vacation every summer to visit my grandparents. And on the way home back to San Diego, we'd always take a, a side trip to someplace. And this one uh, summer, we my parents decided to go down to Nogales, Arizona. Now, I'm a seven-year-old kid, right? To me, Nogales was cool because Nogales, Arizona, right across the border, there was a town called Nogales, Mexico. So, same name. I just thought that was cool. Well, we pulled into Nogales one night. Uh, uh, The first night there, we came in late, so we all just went into the motel, went to bed. The next morning, my two brothers and my parents were up uh, getting ready to walk over to breakfast. I was still lying in bed, and while I was lying in bed, just I call it grace today, but at the time, I did, did not know what it was. It was just a feeling of peace, like a gentle wind 
that entered the top of my head flowed through my body and out my feet. And it felt good. It felt peaceful, uh, loving. I didn't know what it was. I was seven years old. I didn't tell anybody about it. But I, I eventually got out of bed, and we were walking over to breakfast, so we were waiting at the at the corner to cross the street. We were waiting for the light to change, and it happened again to me while I was standing on, on the street corner. Well, so nothing like that happened to had happened to me before, and it hadn't happened to me since until later after I had this nervous breakdown. And that will tie in later as we talk about doubts and fears that people have. Um, And uh, anyway, um, uh, after my nervous breakdown, uh, I I live on a, I have a five acre homestead. So for the next year, I just uh, work the soil and, uh, you know, that's what, that was my therapy. And because I didn't know at the time, I didn't know what had happened. Uh, just that, you know, everything came crashing down and uh, I walked away from everything. And anyway, a couple of years later, uh, I had this vision of uh, Mary, Mother Mary. Now, I'm, I'm not religious. This is a, when I talk about Mother Mary and Mary Magdalene, I talk about them as angels, as spiritual beings, not as religious icons. Right. I saw that in your profile. I wasn't sure if it was a religious thing or... Well, no, then. not at all. And anyway, I uh, uh, Mother Mary came to me, and she uh, she appeared to me overhead, and just bathed me in gold and white light for ten, fifteen minutes, um, and then two nights later, I had an out of body experience, and I was taken into what I call these light regions. Now, I experienced uh, what people are familiar with, uh, this this white light that most people are familiar with. I ex- had experienced that a few years before, but these were light regions that made that white light just pale in comparison. And uh, I was, t- I was um, traveling outside my body, and we came to this light, that I didn't know at the time, but now I know it was the light of Mary Magdalene. And the guide who was with me said, well, you can't go there. And he said, if you go there, you'll spontaneously combust. The energy is just so different, so re- much more refined. And so I came back into my body. I was in this state. I just call it the light regions, but I talked to a Catholic one time and told him about it. He said, oh, yeah, you were in a state of rapture. I said, well, that's a good word. So for the next five months, I was in a state of rapture. I couldn't work. Uh, I'd go, you know, I'm a quiet, reserved kind of person. I'd go into the supermarket and just spontaneously out of nowhere, just start giggling and laughing. People would stop and look at me. That's the state I was in for five months. And then I came out of it. And uh, uh, a few years later, um, I was at this seminar, this uh, breathing um, workshop, where people go into this, um, this deep breathing type of therapy. And it was at the Mission San Luis Rey in 
in Oceanside, California. It was one, it's one of the 21 original California missions. And uh, uh, I, I, at the time, I had a martial arts dojo, and I told my class, I said, you know, there aren't going to be any classes tomorrow, Saturday, because I'm going to a workshop. That's all I said. So while I was, and the reason I decided to take this workshop was that the, uh, the Mission San Luis Ray is associated with uh, Mother Mary. And I thought, well, you know, I had a vision of her one time. Maybe I'll have another vision of her. And, uh, and that's the reason I decided to take it. And so anyway, I was locking up the dojo and, um, one of the parents came up to me and said, well, why are you, well, why, why are you taking this workshop? And just spontaneously out of my mouth without thinking, I said, oh, to meet uh, Mary Magdalene. And then driving home, I, I'm thinking, Mary Magdalene, why did I say Mary Magdalene? I have no interest in her. You know, I, I'm hoping to see Mother Mary. Anyway, the next morning, we go into this breathing session at the mission. And now people ask me, well, these visions, what are they? Well, there's, I, my word for them is semi-physical. And uh, Mother Mary appeared to me uh, at the door of the room that we were in. And she came in and with her was Mary Magdalene. And they had these long black capes on which I had no idea why they why they're wearing these long black capes, but later I was I was it was explained to me. But anyway, they came in and they just flew around me and they were enclosing me in, these, in their capes and giggling and laughing, just like having fun, like two uh, teenagers, right? And uh, Mother Mary said, okay, I want you to lie. We were all setting up. She said, I want you to lie on the ground. <laughs> I said, I'm not going to lie on the ground. Everyone's sitting. And then right when she said that, the facilitator said, okay, everybody on the floor. We're going to start breathing. So I went to the floor, and we were breathing, and my head was in Mother Mary's lap. And... Mary Magdalene was hovering above me and she entered my body. And at that moment, she healed me of my childhood molestations, which I'd never spoken to anybody about. And she healed me. And then um, Mother Mary said, we have to go now. And they left. And at the moment she said that, the facilitator said, okay, everybody sit up, start, uh, you know, um, coming out of your breathing. Well, anyway, uh, a few years after that, uh, Mary Magdalene, it was the December morning, about 2 a.m., she woke me up and said, I want you to sit down at your desk with a pad and pen. So I sat down and these, what, what, what's called quatrain poetry, the four stanza lines, the poetry with four, four stanzas to them. She started uh, dictating these to me. 
And she's been doing that every morning since 2012. So anytime between midnight and 4 a.m., she'll wake me up, I sit down, and they just, some people would call it automatic writing. But she just, no, that's my story. And um, people say, well, how do you know these are really coming from her? And that was my, my question. So they started coming to me in December 2012 and April of 2013. So like three months later or four months later, I started having real doubts about these. And this is what I want to emphasize to your audience is that when you start opening your heart and opening yourself to your angels, and allowing them to help guide you through, you know, the valleys of your life. You're going to have doubts and fears because the ego wants to maintain control, you know, your mind, your head, instead of your heart. And so it's very important that every, that I want people to understand that everybody has doubts and fears. You know, Jim Carrey has doubts and fears. You know, uh, Mother Teresa had doubts and fears. I mean, everybody has doubts and fears. It's how you deal with them or don't deal with them. And so in April of 2013, when I was having these doubts, serious doubts, I said, come on, you know, people are going to think I'm nuts. These can't be coming from you know, um, Mary Magdalene. So, but let me back up just here. In 2012, when she, the first night she woke me up and these started coming to me. After a few nights, I asked her, I said, do you mind if I call you Maggie? And I said, I know Maggie's not a nickname for Magdalena, but I've always loved that word. And we can call these love notes from Maggie. And she said, sure, you can call me Maggie. Well, okay, so in April, I'm having these serious doubts, right? And I said, okay, if these are really coming from you, I want proof. I want like a burning bush that nobody can can argue against. Uh, yeah, it's not like, you know, somebody sees a UFO and then, it's always a hazy picture, right? Or something like that. And I said, no, I want concrete proof. I want a, a burning bush that nobody can uh, argue against. Well, a day went by and nothing happened. <laughs> a week went by and nothing happened. A month went by. I kind of forgot about it, but these, these poems kept coming through to me and I kept recording them. And then in July of that same year, so about three months after my demand that she give me a burning bush, she tells me, I want you to publish, start publishing these. And uh, I thought, gee, if I'm going to publish these, I, I better get some some reviews on them, right? And I thought, well, I don't want to ask my friends because, you know, they're just going to be nice and, and give me uh, good reviews. So I wanted honest reviews. So I went to this website that has these people do that provide all these services, you know, like uh, uh, photoshopping and 
uh, you know, voiceover and stuff like that. Anyway, right. I, I started reading through people's um, bios, and I thought, God, this is going to take forever. So, and I'm I'm a very visual person, so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll just go through the pictures, and if I see a photo of somebody that uh, you know I like, I'll stop on that, and so I, I start quickly going through all these photos and there's thousands of people on this website. So I'm going through this way and finally I see a, a photo of a lady and her name is Angelina and she, she provides a service. She provided a service, but it wasn't reviews a book. Something told me to contact her. So I emailed her and I, I, I didn't tell her anything about Mary Magdalene or angels or anything. I just, said, I have some poems. I'd like you to, I'll pay you for your time to read them. And uh, if you feel moved to give me a view, great. If not, that's great too, but I'll pay you for your time. And she wrote back and she said, well, no, that's not what I do. That's not my service. So, okay, you think I just go on to somebody else, but something told me to stay with her. So we went back and forth for like two or three days. And finally, I think just out of exasperation, she wrote, she said, okay, Send me some poems. So I, when I sent her the poems, that's when I told her about Mary Magdalene and me calling her Maggie. And the next day, I get an email from her. And it says, Joseph, I have to tell you something. She says, I love these poems, but I have to tell you this. And you're not going to believe me, so I'll, I'll send you proof. Said, my name is Angelina. Because that's what my father always wanted to call me. But when I was born, my mother wanted to uh, call me, wanted to name me Mary Magdalena, and then her last name. So my legal name, she said, is Mary Magdalene. Now, when I was growing up, she said, my best friends called me Maggie. I said, whoa, now I said, wait a minute. Maggie's not a nickname for Magdalena, is it? She said, no. But one day, one of my friends called me Maggie, and I loved it. So my best friends would always call me Maggie. And then she sent me a, a copy of her passport with her name on it, so she said I wouldn't believe the story. So she said, and so here was my burning bush. Of the thousands of people on that website, I stopped on her, and then I refused to move on when she initially uh, declined my offer. And here it is, Mary Magdalena, nicknamed Maggie. So that was my proof. But what I, what I want to emphasize, too, is you would think, right? You would think after that, I would never have any doubts. But... That's not how the ego works. The ego always wants to keep you out of your heart and in your head. So, and here's where Nogales comes in that I talked about earlier. So maybe a year later or so, I started having a little bit of doubt, not like the first time, you know, a little bit of doubt. So uh, one morning, Maggie told me, look up Carlos Castaneda. <laughs> now, when I was 
I'm an anthropology major as well. And um, so I knew quite a bit about Carlos Castaneda. It was a, a lot I did not know about him. And so anyway, I'm thinking, well, uh, why do I have to look? She just, just Google Carlos Castaneda. So I Googled him and I was reading his, now if people don't know, Carlos Castaneda, you know, he wrote the, the teachings of Don Juan and, and the controversy was is that he made all these stories up and he, there really is no Don Juan, uh, you know, the Yaqui uh, shaman. And so that that's a big controversy around Carlos Castaneda and his work. Well, anyway, I was reading through this article on Google and, you know, just stuff I already knew, but then there was a sidebar and it said, I witnessed Carlos Castaneda meeting Don Juan. Now, in, in his books, Carlos says that he met, first time he met Don Juan was in the bus station in Nogales, Arizona. Well, I thought, well, that's interesting because that's, that's the controversy. It hasn't been settled. So I clicked on that sidebar and this guy is writing the story about why he came to, and he, he knew Carlos Castaneda. So he knew what he looked like and everything. Um, but he said, I never would have witnessed that meeting at the bus station if I hadn't, he was, had been traveling in Mexico. Said if I hadn't, hadn't gotten sick in Mexico, I never, I would have missed that meeting. I would have been already home in the States. He said, I got uh, sick in Mexico and, and just before crossing over the border to Nogales, Arizona, he stopped in a little town to recover. A little town in Mexico to recover. It's right across the border. And I keep reading. And the town that he stopped in, the name of the town was Magdalena. Now, so I looked up Magdalena, right? Mexico. And it's, it's a suburb of Nogales, Mexico. And that's where I had, that's when I was seven years old, that's when the grace of Mary Magdalene flowed through me. So uh, the reason, and there's other, believe me, I've, I've had other times of doubt, and there's other stories, but, you know, I can talk forever on these stories. But what I want to leave your uh, listeners with is everybody has doubts and fears. So what, especially when you start what I call walking your road to Rome, and that's what I talk about um, yeah, well, I tell this this story that I just told you in in more detail in my uh, third volume. It's called The Power of Angels, Volume Three, and that's available on Amazon. So, but you have to put in The Power of Angels, Volume Three, because angels is is a very popular subject, and that will bring it up. But um, that will uh, go into more details, and it has, it's uh, full of poems. And what we call now love notes for your soul. We originally called them love notes for Maggie, but now we call them love notes for your soul. But here's a here's a a poem that uh, right after uh, Angelina, uh, when I met Angelina, she told me that her legal name is Mary Magdalene, 
uh, and her friends called her Maggie. Right after that, uh, Maggie, Mary Magdalene, my Maggie, uh, transmitted this poem to me. She says, Ah, Joseph, when things like this happen, it is magical and fun. Angelina to Magdalena to Maggie. Who would have thought? And from across the sea, can we even look alike? So run, my dear, and jump and sing that when you look at her, you are seeing me. And um, the book is filled with poems like that. And uh, so, but what I want to really emphasize is, again, these doubts and fears, everybody has them, especially when you start, quote unquote, walking your road to Rome, when you start following your bliss, when you start listening to your heart and start doing things that make you happy, that bring your heart alive, uh, instead of just working nine to five someplace. Um, when you, especially now this, you know, even if you are working nine to five, there's nothing wrong with that, but especially when you start walking your own road to Rome, that's when these doubts and fears start happening because the ego wants to keep you in your head and out of your heart. And it's through your heart that your angels whisper to you. That's how, you, for me, anyway, right. that's how, so when Maggie transmits these poems to me every morning, they come through my heart. They don't come through my head. I'm not thinking about anything. In fact, when I go back and read them, you know, I said, I know I didn't write that. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah. <laughs> There's no way I wrote, I wrote that uh, because they're not coming through my head. They're coming through my heart directly from her. Okay. And, uh, and that's another thing she emphasizes. She emphasizes uh, that anybody who is drawn to these poems, uh, they can consider her uh, one of their guardian angels. We have more than one. But uh, so if somebody in your listening audience happens to be drawn to these poems, then uh, what Maggie is saying is that they, that person can consider Mary Magdalene, one of her uh, one of their guardian angels. Right. So I, you said so much, and I I really enjoyed that. Um, but I have so many other questions. Uh, sure. Of course, because there's times I'll have people on, and if I don't ask a certain question, somebody will message me saying, "Well, I wanted to know that," and it's like I gotta try to remember sure. all the questions I should ask. So, um, so you did a lot of very aggressive. You know, uh, you know, you were in combat, obviously more than just. I mean, you uh, were into, you know, you ran your own, you said you ran in your own dojo? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so you did all these things. And of course you, you know, you, you were molested and a lot of things kind of happened to you and you had a nervous breakdown. I'm sure you had some sort of anger and a lot of other things towards it. How did you, I mean, it, it's, it's crazy that like you're, cause you seem like the most like nicest, like relaxed. And I mean, obviously this, these uh, guardian angels changed who you are. Um, right. but before that, what were you like? I mean, obviously, like I said, you were really into combat. Not that that's a bad thing, but, um, what were you before the nervous breakdown? What kind of person were you? Well, um, I'm, um, I'm just kind of a, a laid back, uh, quiet, reserved person. You know, I look back at my high school yearbook and, you know, when all this happened, when I was trying to, 
you know, I went into a career that uh, would make my parents proud, right? That would uh, provide a lot of money for my for my new family, and and I, I did all these, you know, for these outer reasons, and and then it all came crashing down. And then what what do I end up being now? Uh, I'm a poet, you know. I mean, they're not. That's another thing. All create people do not create things. All creativity comes from source. Now, you can call that God, angels, you know, source, the universe, whatever term you want to put on it. But, you know, even Picasso, for example, you know, they asked Picasso, you know, what, uh, what's the magic? How, how, how do you do all this? And he says, well, because before I go into my studio, I leave my ego at the door. Right. And he walks in and he allows the creativity to flow through him. Uh, Michelangelo, the same way. But I, w- I went back and looked at my high school yearbook, and you know how they ask you uh, what you want to be when you, after your high school? And I put down author. And so I contemplated that, and I remember, yeah, I was going to put down poet. But I thought, po- at the time, I thought poet was unrealistic. And so I put author down, made it, you know, a little bit more legitimate. <laughs> and so, so here I am, you know, all going meandering all through life. And why do I end up as, as a poet? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would. I don't think many people would have saw that in the direction you were going as a younger person. Yeah. yeah. So you know, and I, I was in. The, well, here's here's a. It's, Here's another story relating to doubts and fears. After high school, uh, I went to my first year of college. And again, you know, I was, um, you know, a quiet, reserved person. So I had some friends from my high school that was there. That were there was a junior college. And, but I befriended this uh, Mexican uh, girl. And, you know, this was in the San Diego area. So uh, at the time, a lot of the uh, Mexican students would come across for college. And her her name was Migdalia. And I had studied Spanish in high school. I took three years of Spanish. I had a lot of Mexican friends. I'd never heard that name before, Migdalia. Gee, that's that's an uncommon name. But she looked like... uh, like an Aztec princess. <laughs> she had this long black hair down past her buttocks. Straight hair looked like silk. She had this Aztec nose. People were familiar with this Maya nose and an Aztec, you know. Right, right. She had, she had this uh, regal Aztec nose. And just, I mean, if she walked into a room, she'd be noticed. You know, people would just notice her. And for some reason, she took a liking to me, and we became friends. She was an art major. I was an anthropology major, and uh, so we didn't have any classes together, but in between classes, we always hang out, and the last, and this was in 68, so they were beginning to draft college students for the Vietnam War, and uh, I said, you know, I'm not going to be a grunt. 
So I decided to enlist, and uh, and I went into intelligence, and army intelligence. But anyway, that was uh, summer of 68. So I met her in the fall of 67. And the last time I saw her in June of 68, um, I was I had just uh, gotten some books out of the trunk of my car, and I was walking back to class through the parking lot. She was leaving to go home. And she, she always drove across with four of her friends. So uh, there was two girls in the front and three girls in the back. And she was in the middle, in the middle seat in the back. And her girlfriend uh, saw me. Uh, and she tapped Migdalia on the arm and whispered to Migdalia. And Migdalia turned completely around. And with a smile from ear to ear, she's just waving to me you know, saying goodbye for the day. That's the last time I saw her. And uh, because things just got chaotic and I went into the army. And uh, and then uh, went to Vietnam. And here's another story. So I get to Vietnam, right? And everybody knows you're new because you're clean, right? <laughs> your your right. uniform is, green, is bright green. Your boots are clean. And you fly, you fly into Saigon, and then you wait in Saigon, which was the capital of South Vietnam. You wait there until you get your orders, and then you go to wherever you're going in the, in the country. And so my orders came through, and I, I'm heading for Pleiku. I didn't know Pleiku from anything else, but the Vietnamese would ask me, because, you know, I'm brand new, obviously, and so they're always asking the new people, where are you going? And every time I said Pleiku, Every single one of them said, oh, no, no, that's the worst place you can go. You don't want to go to Pleiku. Like, I have something to say about it, right? So I get to Pleiku. And the month before I get to Pleiku, the Viet Cong are shelling our station. And uh, a couple guys get killed. A bunch of guys get wounded. When I get there in May of 1969, from May of 1969 to May of 1970, when I left, the whole year I was there, the airbase next to us got shelled two or three times a week. We never got hit while I was there. When it was time for me to leave, I had to go back to Saigon and wait for my paperwork to come through. While I was waiting, I got word that the UN, because we worked in intelligence and high clearance um, capacity, we worked in these trucks on these these large uh, trailers on on these huge trucks that because of the Viet Cong ever overran us, we could get out of there and start destroying everything. Uh, but anyway, uh, when I was in Saigon, I got word that the unit I worked in took a direct hit, and three of my friends were killed, the guys I worked side by side with. But for the whole year I was there, nothing, except for the airbase next to us. Is this something you thought about then, or did you think about this a lot, many years later? Well, at the time, you know, I didn't think about it. I didn't know about the survivor's remorse and and survivor's guilt and stuff like that. 
you know, I was just a young kid and I thought, well, that, I was lucky, right? Uh, my friends weren't, but, it, you know, I felt sorry for them. But, you know, hey. So then um, a few years back, I was having doubts again. You know, like I said, the doubts and fears are always going to come because ego is relentless in keeping you out of your heart. Mm. So again, the doubts and fears started coming. And one morning, Maggie said to me, look up Migdalia. I said, Migdalia? I haven't thought of Migdalia in how long? Just out of the blue, she said, look up Migdalia. I said, she said, look up the meaning. So I looked up Migdalia, and it says flower. I said, well, yeah, yeah, she was pretty. She was like a flower. And then the next morning, Maggie says, look it up again. I said, well, I already looked it up. It means right. Said, look it up again and use a different dictionary. So I looked Migdalia up again. It says Migdalia, derivative of Magdalena. <laughs> I thought, hmm. that's, why, that's why Migdalia smiled at me like she did. She was telling me that I was going to be okay in Vietnam. I don't know if you can hear it, but it's emotional for me to this day, you know. Right, right. Uh, and so, again, that goes back to doubts. So when you have doubts and fears, just, you know, uh, I always I always say in my books, I say, you know, your angels are always whispering to you. It's up to you to open your heart and be receptive. And so when doubts and fears come, I just suggest to people, open up your heart. Be aware. It, you yeah. know, I mean, it's, it was the little prince, right, that said everything uh, uh, worth saying you see through the eye of your heart, not through your two physical eyes, uh, which are connected to your ego, you know. Right. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely no. Well, you know, I was a pretty laid-back person, and, right. you know. So that only changed me in that uh, yeah, it reinforces uh, this concept that life happens for you and not to you. You know, and if if you can really internalize that, uh, then you start you stop blaming people. Stop, you know. In my instance, I stop blaming the people who molested me. You know, I stop blaming uh, the politicians for the Vietnam War. Uh, you know, so, and when you stop blaming people, uh, you know, it frees you up, you know, opens your heart more. And the more you open your heart, the more, uh, the easier it is to hear your angels. You know, and, and you, you know, some people call it intuition. So angels is my, is what I, is the terminology I use because I've seen them, right? <laughs> Right, right. For, for me, for me, they exist. Now, for someone else, who somebody might be an atheist and not believe in anything uh, supernatural, and that's fine. You know? um, but it, 
and they might call the listening to the heart their intuition, and that's fine. Right. You know, whatever works for you, just deal with the doubts and fears. That's all. Right. I think if you have an open mind, everything you're saying does relate to everyone nowadays because, I mean, or any, any time, but, you know, for me, like I'm a person that constantly doubts everything I do, even if I go forward and, and, and go through with it. Um, I'm constantly in my own head, you know, going through the podcast sure. and interviewing people and, you know, sure. I, I may have 20 podcasts down the road and I'll still be thinking like, oh God, I'm never going to find another good guest and I'm going to run out of content and all these things. And, and, and there's many times out loud, I've had to tell myself to shut up because it's just like, it, it's just nonsense. Um, and I, right. I, I spend so sure. much time worrying that I don't even really have time to enjoy what I'm doing at the moment. Right. And that's, a, that's, but but I want to what I want to emphasize to your uh, listeners is that's natural. Everybody has that. I go through it. You go through it. Your listeners go through it. Uh, Jim Carrey goes through it. Bill Gates goes through it. Steve Jobs went through it. Martin Luther King went through it. Uh, you know, everybody goes through it. Everybody has the doubts and fears constantly. They never go away. That's just part of the journey. You know, and dealing with them is part of the journey. And you can resist them and fight them. And, you know, when you fight your ego, you know who eventually wins. It's your ego. Because that's what I did before my nervous breakdown. Right. I constantly fought with my ego. And then it just blew, blew apart. Instead of fighting with your ego or the doubts and fears, just thank, befriend them. Make them your friend. So, in other words, when... when uh, you know, you, th you think of something negative. What I do now is I always, I used to say, it's, it's kind of like meditation, right? People say, well, when you meditate, if, if you're thinking about your thoughts, then you're not meditating right. Well, you know, I don't care who it is. You know, I have what, what anybody tells you. When you meditate, you're going to have thoughts come into your head. Absolutely. That's just natural. So what do you do? Do you focus on the thoughts? Do you fight them? Resist them? Beat yourself up because, oh, gee, I'll, I'll never meditate like so-and-so because, you know, well, what I do is I just thank them. They're my friends now. So when a negative thought or something negative happens in my life, I just say thank you for reminding me to drop back into my heart. Right. Well, they teach you when you're meditating that when, when you have these thoughts, it's just to kind of use trigger words like, you know, like say thinking and then go back to right. the actual mission of breathing and, and concentrating right. on your body. Right. So instead of resisting it and fighting it, but, but then what we do, what do we do though? So, you know, we sit down and we meditate and this all sounds good, right? You know, thought comes in, okay, you know, but then when, you, when you're out and about in the world, what happens? You go right, the, the ego takes over and you go right back reacting to, you know, somebody said this or somebody said this 20 years ago and you're reacting to it today because you're remembering it and you have these strong feelings about it. And the, the, that stuff's never going to go away. Right. So how do you deal with it? And what I'm suggesting to your audience is just be friends these things. Make them your friends because they're not going to go away. And just every time they pop up in whatever disguise, 
you know, just say thank you for reminding me to draw back into my heart and listen to my angels. Right. How do you, whatever you want. How do you feel like, like from just for me, as, as it's like, I do hear those other voices as far as the angels and so on, but how do you hear those voices or let those voices in when the ego or, or whatever the negative being is that is telling you um, whatever is much louder than the angels' voices? How do you actually kind of push the one to the well, side and hear the others? Well, you just constantly thank it. See, the ego wants, wants you to fight it because the ego knows if, if you put up a fight, the ego's going to win. It already knows that. So if you just diffuse it, you take all of, all of the wind out of the ego and just, you know, when some, somebody says something negative to you or somebody cuts you off in traffic or you get pulled over for a ticket, you know, say thank you for reminding me to stay in my heart and go back into your heart. Now, that's not easy. Right. You know, I mean, it's not it's not easy. Uh, but the other alternative is to fight with ego, and that's easy. That's really easy. You know, so yeah, it's not easy to always say thank you and drop into your. And sometimes you won't. Sometimes you fight with your ego. But the point is, uh, TJ is. Uh, you know, you can, at the end of the day, when you're lying in bed, you can reflect on your day and say, you know, I fought with ego today, and I should have thanked it. <laughs> so I'm going to thank it now for reminding me to stay in my heart. And tomorrow I'm going to do better, or try and do better. So just don't beat yourself up with it. You know, it's, it's a process. But the more you do it, the more you say thank you and drop into your heart, the easier it becomes. And then the longer you can stay in your heart between each session of dealing with ego. And ego, you know, ego is everywhere. You know, there's no shortage of ego in, in all its disguises. Yeah, we all you know. have it, for sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just saying it's natural. Yeah, I, feel, I think people... Everybody has doubts and fears. Just deal with them. Uh, right. What feels good to you? Right. you know? Now, meditation might work for someone. You know, for me, it's, you know, every morning Maggie just wakes me up and I record all these love notes. That's what works for me. That's my meditation. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, and now can that work for everybody? Well, I, I think, why does it work for me? Why did Maggie choose me? You know, there, there goes my dip. There goes my ego, right? Why did why did Maggie choose you? You know, who are you? You know, these aren't coming from her. Who are you that she, someone like her would choose you? You know, that that's the ego talking, right? And you know, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I maybe because my heart is open. You know, maybe that's why she she uh, you know graces me every morning with these. All I know, I've had enough doubts and fears around it, and she's shown me, uh, you know, every time I have a doubt and fear, she gives me something like McDolly or Nogales or, or you know, uh, Angelina. Um, but 
the reason she does is I ask her. You know, I was listening to Steve Harvey the other day, and you know he's he's big in the scripture. You know, and he says, well, scripture. He says, scripture says you have not because you ask not. It doesn't say you have not because of your PTSD. You know, it doesn't say you have not because of your spouse. It doesn't say you have not because you were molested. You know, all that stuff is complicated. It's, it, you know, everything in nature is simple. It just says simply, you have not because you ask not. Well, I just asked me. You know, my doubt, when I have a doubt and fear, that's me asking Maggie for confirmation again. See, at first I had to demand it, right? I said, well, I want a burning bush, you know, this and that. You know, that was my coming from my ego, right? The fear of my ego. But still, that's how I dealt with it at the time. But now I, I never have to ask her. Once a doubt and fear comes in, she automatically answers it for me. I, I don't even have to ask her anymore. Yeah. But, but I had to get there. I, ha I had to get to that place. And I got to that place. Believe me, it's real easy to wake up at 2 a.m. and stay in bed. <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. It's real it's easy. <laughs> but every morning, now, it's not an issue at all now, but in the beginning, every morning I would get up. There were mornings when I thought, when Eagle would say, he doesn't have anything to say today. Stay in bed. I would never listen to that. Once I was woken up, I would get up, go to my desk, sit down with a pad and pen and wait. Sometimes, uh, these are four stanza poems, right? So I use a, a, a yellow legal pad, so I get six to a page. Right, right, yeah. One, one, some mornings I would get one page, six poems. Some mornings I'd get, you know, three pages. The most I've ever gotten is 65. 65 poems in one setting, just nonstop. So I never know, but I know it's going to be something. Uh, this morning, I got one, right? Uh, so, but there's always something that she has to say. Otherwise, she wouldn't wake me up. I just sleep through the, through the night. So you have to be willing, you know. You got to be willing, you, you know, you got to, you got to give your angels something to work with, you know. Uh, like Jim Carrey says, you know, you can't can't ask for something and then go eat a ham sandwich, right? right <laughs> yeah. You got you got to you got to give your angels God's or whatever you want to call it. You got to give it something to work with, you know. So you got to take your baby steps. Well, you know, people say, well, I don't know what to do, you know. Well, you know, just do what you can from where you are with what, what you have, right? right? That's what Teddy Roosevelt said. Do what you want. Do what you can with what you have from where you are. Yeah. That's all you can do. Just take baby steps. Take baby steps. 
you have to be open-minded to everything too. Like you have to be open to what answers are going to come to you because I think a lot of people right. are expected, sure. you know, a certain answer, but it might not be the answer you asked for. And that's, that's like right. when it yeah. comes to like people who deal with addiction or anything, like one of the first steps is to realize you actually have a problem. But if you don't, mm-hmm. if that's not the answer you were looking for, and you're just hoping for sympathy or someone to just give you a cure to your addiction, it's not going to happen. You have to realize that there's a problem. So it might not have been the answer you wanted, but it's the answer that is actually going to help you, at least to get you in the that's direction right, you need to be going. That's right. But if, if, if you're in a position where you refuse that answer, that's just a stepping stone. Right, you right. You see? It's just a stepping stone. It doesn't mean you're never going to uh, get out of the addiction, but it also means not to beat yourself up. Just that's where you are right now. That's where you are. And it's just a stepping stone. But without that stepping stone, you can't get to the place where finally you do accept that you have an addiction. Right. Yeah. You see, so in other words, life happens for you, not to you. You know, if you're looking at that life happens to you, you're going to blame everything. You're going to beat yourself up all the time. Well, you know, I can't meditate because I'll always have these thoughts or I always have these doubts and fears. Or, you know, I went to an AA meeting and, you know, it wasn't for me, so it's never going to be for me. You know, well, that's life happening to you. But if you think of that, life happens for you. Yeah, I went to the AA meeting, you know, five years ago. Now I'm ready to go again. And you go again and maybe this time you accept that you have an addiction. Whereas if you haven't gone, if you had never gone before, it wouldn't have, you know, so just, you know, Deal with the doubts and fears and just uh, take baby steps in the direction of your dreams and know that every time you take one step, that God, source, your angels, whatever you want to call it, is taking multiple steps that you don't see in that same direction. Yeah. How how do you, because one of my biggest problems is I never really appreciate the things that I've already accomplished. I'm already looking forward I'm already looking ahead going, oh, I'm, I'm not at that point yet. Like, let's just, for instance, like the podcast, like, oh, a couple hundred people listen. Oh, how come I'm not at a thousand yet or whatever, you know, like, how, well, do, that, I, yeah, how do I appreciate the time true. and the journey and not constantly be looking well, that's forward? Your, that's your ego. That's your ego talking. So, again, uh, it's stopping and saying thank you for reminding me drop back into my heart. And when you drop back into your heart, you realize that life happens for you, not to you. And so from that that place, you can appreciate what you've done already. And know, it's like going back to Steve Harvey, you know, you have not because you ask not. And keeping it simple, and start talking to source and listening to your heart. So it's a, it's a two-way deal. You just don't listen. You also talk. So if you've got a gripe, if you got a, uh, a you know, something bothering you, just talk about it. So okay. you you know, you can talk to Source, you can talk to God, you can talk to your guardian angel. Um, whatever, you just 
talk, put it out there <laughs> and talk. And and see, your your job is not to figure out how to do something. So Albert Einstein said, you know, your imagination is far more important than any knowledge. You, you can't know. No, Jim Carrey said, you know, he, he had no idea how he was going to make it make a career out of being a comedian. All he knew was that he saw it in his imagination and he left it up to the universe to figure out how it was going to happen. You know, Bill Gates, they asked Bill Gates one time, they said, Mr. Gates, when you first started Microsoft, what did success mean to you? And he said, well, he said, I thought I would be successful if I had a company with a hundred employees where everybody got paid on time. That was his vision. He had no idea what Microsoft was going to become. All he did is he had a little vision and he took the steps, his baby steps to, to try and get to that vision. And then once he got to that vision, then he could see more, you know. But, you know, to say, you know, gee, you know, I, I'm starting a podcast down. I want, uh, I don't know, um, 20,000 downloads. Uh, okay, well, this person has, uh, uh, you know, so many downloads. Uh, well, you know, that person's on their journey, you know, not on your journey. You know, Source gave you your imagination to you. You know, he didn't give it to that person, and he didn't give that person's imagination to you. He gave your imagination to you. Your job is to get up in the morning. My job, everybody's job, is to get up in the morning and let your hopes and dreams, your imagination, propel you forward, knowing that every step you take Source is taking multiple steps in your direction that you don't see. Right. <clears throat> and it will get you to where you want to go, not on your time frame, but on the universe's time frame. Right. Um, so yeah. it's called patience, too. <laughs> yeah. We all have to have patience. Yeah. You know, and it's ego that is impatient. Right. You know? So it's all, it always goes back to ego, your mind, your head, you know, versus your heart. So people, in the beginning, it's hard to tell. And people say, well, how do I know if it's my heart talking to me or, you know, the voices in my head, right? And my answer to that, well, it's not easy, you know, but everybody deals with it. And, you know, it's just part of doubts and fears and dealing with them. But your heart will always come from a position of love. And your ego always comes from fear. Right. Yeah. You know, so all you have to ask yourself is, okay, uh, I want to do this. Is this coming from fear or is it coming from ego? And you may not know that right away. And then you get involved in the in whatever you're doing, and then you realize, wait a minute, this isn't coming from my heart. So you change course. You know, I mean, once you get on your road to Rome, you know, you know, following your bliss, you know, 
when an airplane leaves New York for London and it's on the computer, you know, the autopilot, it makes hundreds of course corrections to get to London because of the wind and you know, this and that. It, that computer has to make hundreds of course corrections in order to get where it needs to go. If it didn't, it'd end up in Siberia or someplace. It's the same with us. Once you get on your road to Rome, you have your imagination that tells you, you know, oh, I like to have a podcast with 20,000 downloads in a month. Okay, that's in London, right? Okay, so the doubts and fears come up, and that's when you make your course corrections. You know, okay, you know, uh, thank you for reminding me to drop into my heart. That's a course correction. When you drop into your heart, that's course correcting, whether it's conscious or not. You know, okay, well, I don't know. I don't know what to do next, but I'm going to listen to my heart, right? And I'm not going to do anything. You know, people want to get busy, you know. They start following their dream, and, and they think they have to be busy, you know, to, to make it happen, you know. And, you know, you can do that, I guess, you know. Uh, but it's a lot easier. Just look at nature. And if you look at nature, everything in nature is simple. Absolutely. Everything. Yeah. Everything. And we complicate it by, you know, putting our canoe in the, in the river and start paddling upstream. You know, oh, this is, you know, I see it up there. You know, well, nothing you want is upstream. Right, yeah. Everything's downstream. And so instead of using your paddle to paddle against life's current, you know, just put your paddle on the canoe and let the stream take you downstream. And when you get pushed up on a rock, a rock being a doubt and a fear, that's when you use your paddle to get you off the rock and back into the stream. And then you put your paddle back in the, in the canoe. You don't, you know, just, you know, and that's so you flow with life, you flow with nature. And, and that's when you realize that life does happen for you. It doesn't happen to you. You know, but that, that takes time. That takes baby steps to get there. And, I listened to Jim Carrey the other day. He says, well, you know, life happens for you and not to you. How do I know that? He says, I don't. <laughs> but yeah. he says, that's what I use to make, to help me get through my doubts and fears. See, you don't even have to believe it in the beginning. But you can use it as a tool to get you through your doubts and fears. You know, I, I know, I don't believe this yet, you know. But okay, life happens for me, not to me. Okay, I, I can, I can, I can, you know, wrap that, wrap my head around that, right? You know, but, you know, so whatever, you just have to find the tools that work for you to get through your doubts and fears. For me, it's my angels. Somebody else, it might be something else, but, right. uh, uh, you know, and, and another, and I'd like to leave with your audience is people are afraid 
that tell their angel stories. Now, when I started telling my angel stories, you know, somebody very close to me didn't want to have anything to do with me. Thought you were crazy? Yeah. Yeah. But for that one person that's, you know, I've done several, you know, quite a few podcasts, hundreds of people who have been helped. Because people have angel stories. They just don't, they're afraid to tell people about them. And I was too until that day in the, um, at the San Luis Rey mission when Mary Magdalene Maggie entered my body. She held me in my childhood molestations. You know, up to that point, I, I never told anyone. Now I tell everybody. Right. You know, I'm within, you know, reason. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not afraid to talk about them uh, because I realize that life happens for me, not to me. So, uh, and I wouldn't be here today talking about Mary Magdalene and Mother Mary uh, if those things hadn't happened to me. Right. Well, I think what people, if they don't understand it, they immediately assume that you're crazy, you're talking to yourself, right. you're on drugs or, or whatever. Well, but you that's, have to have all, all the, that's all the mystics through history, right? Yeah. Uh, we call them mystics. You know, they happen, you know, people in their day would call them crazy, but then, you know, uh, we call them mystics. Uh, So you're either called a mystic or you're called crazy, one of the two. But, uh, you know, my my idea about psychology, psychiatry, is that uh, medicines, to a point, I mean, uh, because I, I believe in therapy with good ther- with a good therapist. Uh, there's a lot of lousy therapists. Um, but again, if you get a lousy therapist, life happens for you. Okay, thank you for reminding me to stay on your heart and then move on. Course correct. Find a good therapist, right? But don't blame the bad therapist. Just thank the bad therapist for getting you to a good therapist. Um, but my idea of psychiatry is that's just medicine's failed attempt to understand quantum physics, the quantum universe. You know, because really, when you get into mysticism, it's really on the, it's in, in that same universe as quantum, as the quantum world. You know, the quantum world has turned everything we know about physics upside down. Yeah, exactly. Um, just before we go, one of the things I wanted to ask you, how, how does, <clears throat> for people out there who have dealt with being molested, how, how do they, I mean, again, everyone's different, but, you know, using your same, you know, technique, how, how do you recover from that? I mean, obviously it took you a long time and, I, and it's happened to me and I'm not asking for me because I'm, I'm, I'm relatively okay yep. with it, but, um, well, yeah. I, I don't think. I don't think we ever fully recover from trauma. You know, I, I mean, I say uh, Maggie uh, healed me of my molestations. But she didn't completely heal me. There's still things I have to go through uh, to fully heal. Um, 
But what she did do for me is she healed me. She healed me for, to the point where I could begin talking about it, um, feeling okay about it, not blaming myself, not blaming anybody about it, uh, getting therapy for it. Um, you know, so that's what she did do for me, and in, in that regards. But uh, as, as far as any kind of trauma, I don't think we ever get over it. Um, because that, you know, trauma goes into the cells, you know, and you may think you've overcome it, but then, you know, 10 years later, something happens and oh, all this emotions come, come out of you, you know, from that trauma that you thought, you know, you, you were fine with. So, Everybody has to deal with it on their own terms. Um, for me, I just repressed it. And I didn't believe in therapy. And, uh, you know, I was going to tough it out, you know. Uh, and, you know, why did this happen to me? And, uh, you know, all this stuff. And then I had that nervous breakdown. And then I, all I did for one solid year, I just worked, you know, I have five acres here. I just worked the land for a year, did nothing else. And that was my therapy for me at the time. And then a few years after that, that's when Mary Magdalene, um, what well, that I was conscious of, you know, she had come to me when I was seven years old. But I, I wasn't aware that was her at the time. Right. Uh, but she, she consciously saw her uh, at, the, at the mission. And, and that's when she really became a part, a conscious part of my life. Um, why did that happen? I don't know. I can't tell you. But I, I can, I, I feel confident saying this to your audience. If you look back in your life, like Steve Jobs, said something similar, right? He said, uh, when you're going through stuff, it's, it's hard to connect the dots, but once you arrived at a, at a certain place, you can look back and then you can start connecting the dots on how you got where you are. And it's the same thing with your uh, uh, mystical experiences. Uh, you can look back and start connecting the dots. Oh, yeah, this is... This happened because, uh, you know, this and that. And that's where it, I call it angel interventions, you know. Uh, I was in Panama. I was almost murdered in Panama. And uh, I'll tell you, an angel intervened. If an angel had not intervened, I would have been killed in Panama. Um, angels intervened in, in Vietnam for me. Why did they intervene for me and not my three friends who were killed? Because it was time for my three friends to transition. It wasn't time for me. No, I, I was nothing special. It was it's just timing. It was their time. It wasn't my time at that time. And so... 
you know, it's just the, it's just the bottom line is just stop resisting. You know, stop resisting life. You know, just stop resisting. Now, it's easy to say. <laughs> right, yeah. All simple things are easy to say, but they're not easy to do. But simple things are the true way. Everything in nature is simple. So just, uh, you know, you know, look back. I just ask your audience to look back in their lives and look, look at the, if you don't want to use the word angel, use mystical or spiritual. You see the spiritual um, thoughts in your life that connect, that got you where you are today. You know? Yeah. Uh, and believe me, when you start talking about your angelic experiences, your mystical experiences, that opens up your heart to receive more. And I think that that's uh, that's all I did. So when I first saw uh, Mother Mary, she actually appeared to me. Just her eyes appeared to me above me. I didn't see her. I didn't know it was her. I thought it was my mother who had passed away a few years before. So I just, you know, I just saw these eyes above me. Thought it was my mom, and then uh, suddenly. Uh, it expanded, and it was Mother Mary. No, I had no thoughts about Mother Mary at the time. I didn't. I wasn't thinking about her. I wasn't hoping I, I'd have a vision. Of nothing. I just. I saw these eyes. I thought they were my mom's. And all of a sudden, they expanded. It was Mother Mary. And that's when she bathed me in, in those beams of golden white light, which was the. I didn't know then, but it was pre- to prepare me to go in those light regions two nights later. So, why did that happen to me? Well, I think it happened because I was willing. Uh, that was during a, a breathing workshop. I was willing to take that workshop. I was willing to spend the money, which at the time was quite a bit of money for me. I was willing to spend the money to attend a one-week workshop that really got to the, you know, help get to the core things. And I, you know, I was just willing to do that. And if I wasn't willing to do that, Mother Mary, maybe she would have come in a, in a, in a different time, a different way. I don't know. But for me, it happened at that time because I was willing but, you know, because I was willing to take that workshop. Yeah, and kind of what it, you have to do. And create a relationship with Mother Mary. That was the stepping stone for the next workshop years later for me to have a relationship with Mary Magdalene. Okay. Yeah. So... Uh, the thing is just to stay in your heart and and just thank ego. Every time it says, no, no, that's too much. You shouldn't spend that money on that workshop. And it's one week. You can't do that. That's too much. You know, all those were in my head. I listened to my heart instead. And I just did it. 
Awesome. I just said to the to the thousand fears. I said thank you. Well, I didn't then because that that wasn't a technique I used, but uh, unconsciously I did. I just listened to my heart instead. Maybe because I was hurting so much. That was after the nervous breakdown. Maybe maybe that's why I did it because I was hurting so much. Uh, but you're hurting your heart, you know. So, um, but you just have to be willing. You know, source needs something to work with. You know, you got to give source something to work with. <laughs> and fourth, and source, God, your angels, whatever you want to call, it, works best with faith and action. You don't have to take giant steps. You just have to take baby steps in the direction of your dreams. You know, doing what you can from where you are with what you have. You know, you don't have to spend a thousand dollars on some guy's course that is going to, you know, some expert's course that's going to tell you how they became quote unquote successful, which you have no idea if it's true or not, right? Uh, but you're just taking the word that they're successful, and and because that's how they did it, well. I went that route for years and it ended up in a nervous breakdown because I was doing things that uh, compromised my integrity, uh, compromised my heart, you know, but yeah, you know, look, look, he's happy. He, he, he's making money. You know, he, he's uh, successful. If it worked for him, it's got to work for me. But that's what they sell to you. You know, they sell that to you. They don't sell that you're going to be, be successful. They sell that if you do this, what well, worked for me, it's going to work for you. That's what they sell. And unfortunately, it doesn't work for most people, yeah. if anybody. You know. But I went through that. You know, I had to go through all that stuff. So I don't, I don't blame that. Those were stepping stones for me. Yeah. You know, yeah, to get me where I'm at. So. Again, life happens for you. Look at life as stepping stones. You know, uh, somebody asked um, um, Thomas Edison, you know, you uh, failed 10,000 times. Uh, he said, oh, no, no, I, I didn't fail once. Each, what you, each thing you call a failure was a stepping stone for me to learn how to make the light bulb. Yeah. And people don't know this about Thomas Edison. You know? you think, they think, well, he was this great inventor always in his head. No. Thomas Edison ha had a house in Florida. And he has a, uh, I don't know if you've been there, but it, it, it's a big lake behind his house. And he would take his fishing pole and go out on the lake every, you know, uh, whenever he could. And one day, a little boy asked him, he said, Mr. Edison, you never come back with any fish. <laughs> he says, well, Tommy, whatever his name was, I'm not fishing for the fish on the lake. You know, he would go out on the boat and just ask these questions to the universe. And then he would wait for the answers. You know, and then he'd take that answer, go to the lab, and try it out. Now, it took him 10,000 times, right? And now he could have said, 
well, geez, I've done this a hundred times. I've got a hundred answers and none of them worked out. I'm done with this. I'm not going out on the lake anymore. You know? No, because he looked at each answer as a stepping stone to get where I needed to go. So, uh, you know, like I said uh, in the beginning, creativity comes from source. You know, ego wants you wants you to think that creativity comes from you. That doesn't. All the great artists and creators, uh, they all tell you that creativity comes from someplace else. Right. Whatever they want to call it, it does not come from ego. Like Picasso said, he, he leaves the ego at the door. And he walks in there and he listens to his heart and allows creativity to flow through his heart. Yeah. Onto the, you know. No, I think you're very insightful. I think you can definitely help a lot of people and it's making me do a lot of thinking. Um, but I do want to... Yeah, so uh, again, you know, my my best, uh, my favorite book is the, the Power of Angels, Volume 3. If you readers want to learn more... I'll put it in the and, description. Yeah. Uh, they have to, in Amazon, if they go to Amazon, they have to put in the Power of Angels, Volume 3. Because angels is a is a popular word, so if you don't put in right, right. the power in volume three, you'll get all kinds of stuff. Right. But, uh, and it's in digital and paperback, so um, okay. whichever works for people. But, cool. Well, thank uh, thank you, Joseph. Has, oh, you're welcome. Also, have, on the back cover, it has a picture of Angelina. Okay. Uh, yeah. I so will uh, it's a, it's put a, in the description. One of my favorites. So. Anyway, I enjoyed this. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Yeah, thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, you know, just do what you can from where you are with what you have, one step at a time. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll keep in touch. Okay, thank you so much. All right, buddy. Bye, bye. Bye. All right, guys. Um, yeah, I mean that guy can talk. <laughs> uh, but honestly, he is super insightful. Uh, I think he goes on a little long, but in general, he, what he's saying makes a lot of sense, honestly, at least to me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do a lot of soul searching, honestly, because I, I, I do what he says, you know, as far as I doubt myself all the time and I always get in my own way. And there are other voices. I've always said if I listen to my intuition, which are, you know, the equivalent of, of guardian angels, if I listen to it more, I probably would be right 100% of the time, but I'm too busy listening to, as he calls it, the ego. So, um, yeah, guys, like I said, I hope you enjoyed this. Um, like I said, it's just more insightful information to try to help people and, you know, have an open mind. And, and this is just another person's point of view of how you get through life and how to have a, a, a more successful, happier life. Um, it may not work for you, but... It may, and it may help somebody, and that's all that matters. Uh, that's kind of the whole purpose of this. Uh, I kind of want to just open minds up to every idea. And and not, like I said, I, I didn't know where this podcast was going. I really didn't. Uh, just met the guy. so. Um, but it, it, it was, yeah, very insightful, and I'm, I'm happy it happened. Um, yeah, guys, thanks for all the support, of course. Love you guys, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. All right, guys. Bye-bye.